Parables are, are great stories. They're stories, and uh, sometimes they're a bit puzzling. And so as you approach them, it's important to ask the question, what, what in the world did Jesus mean by this? And, and we'd be right there with the disciples asking that same question, right? He would tell stories, and, and they would say, now, Jesus, what in the world did you mean by that? And I think typically our, our tendency is to take a story like this, and we just kind of do the plug-ins on it. We kind of we, we kind of do consider it as an equation. So we look for God in this story, and there's a king in the story, and so we say, well, that must be God, and then we try to put the other principal parts together and ascribe to them who, who they might be along the way. And parables are not really great when you do equations like that. And this is an example of that, of the importance of looking at it carefully, because it's, although it says this king is like the Heavenly Father, in many ways, this king is not like the Heavenly Father. We see here a king who demands that a person who owes him a debt, uh, that, that he sells his mother, his wife, and his kids in order to pay back the debt. There's no equivalency there. In fact, that is not what anyone was allowed to do by law in that particular Middle Eastern culture. And then we see this person who gives his word of forgiveness and then reneges on that and demands then that he go to prison to pay his debt back. So you can't necessarily plug those parts of it in. We must look for what is it that Jesus was trying to say here. And there are a couple of things I want to note and then have us be able to see how this plays itself out in life as I uh, introduce uh, to you a story that uh, will be wor worthwhile for us to hear. But the first thing we note here is a kingdom that, that forgiveness is a kingdom trait. Even before this, Jesus talks about forgiveness, seven times 70. Forgiveness is a kingdom trait. It what, it's what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. We were made in the image of God, and as we come back to God, we are then imitators of God. We look like him, we act like him, we're characterized by what he's like. And this is what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to be a person characterized by forgiveness. There's, this is in, in, in the whole story and before that. But there's also another piece of it, too, and it is this, that an unwillingness for me to forgive someone leaves that person in prison. That's what happens in this story, doesn't it? When the king is then unwilling to forgive that man who uh, made a, a, a grievous mistake, ungracious mistake, and, and he goes to prison. And when he has been harmed, or there's someone that owes him a debt that can't be paid, uh, he doesn't forgive, he sends that person to prison. And this is what happens with forgiveness. I mean, we oftentimes hear about something that's equally true, and that's if we fail to be people that forgive, it harms us. That's true. And uh, we recognize that. And, and so there's this exhortation that God has, this command, really, that God has for us to forgive. But there's a counterpoint to it, and that is this, if we fail to forgive, it harms them. It harms them. My unwillingness to forgive puts a person in prison. It reduces the flourishing in their life. And we all know this, don't we? We know what it's like for someone in our life to refuse to forgive us. And perhaps for great cause. They say, you know what? It's just really hard for me to forgive you right now. And I would imagine everybody in this room has experienced that, where someone is unwilling to forgive us for something that we've done. It, it, it puts us in prison. We, 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 we see that look 
over and over again. We, we feel that distance from them. Our, our world gets so much smaller. Even if they're not around, we, we remember it and we reflect on it and we feel diminished by, I can't be forgiven. And there are those conversations that the person who can't forgive has with others and, and it diminishes us even more. Do you see what happens? My failure to forgive not only harms me, but it harms others. I put people in smaller lives, imprison them by my looks and by my attitude and by my words. And that's what Jesus is talking about here and highlighting here in this story. Of course, we say in the midst of it, well, it was justified. Do you know how badly you hurt me? And it's that pain that allows us, that causes us to focus so keenly on what that hurt was all about that we say, man, I, I, I've got reason not to forgive you. And then we come to this other side of the story where Jesus encourages us to compare transgressions and forgiveness. And in this story, the debt that is owed by the person unwilling to forgive is an incredible debt. It's ten, in some of your translations, it's 10,000 talents. In the NIV, it's 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 talents. Do you know how much uh, Herod the Great, you know what his sal annual salary was of Herod the Great? It was 900 talents a year. If Herod the Great had to pay it back, it would take him over 10 years to pay this debt off. A day labor, it would take 164,000 years. And they didn't live that long back in those days. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? I want you to notice something. Instead of looking at the person that owes you, look at the person that has forgiven you. And the scope of God's forgiveness to me will never compare with the, the range of offenses done towards me. And God says, instead of looking in this direction, I want you to look in this direction. And remember what it is like for you to live in relationship for me, with me and for me to say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I love you. Come home, come home. We'll work that one through. He says, live there. And at the end of this story, he talks about a king who says, sorry, if, if you can't be that kind of a person, then this is where you will live and it will be prison for you. God says to us, live in the world of forgiveness that has been given to you and that God intends for you to display in the world in order that you might flourish and in order that they might flourish as well. Here's a difficulty with it. I know this firsthand. I've had conversations with a number of people in my church family here in Wisconsin. Sometimes it is just too hard to forgive. And he says here, to forgive from your heart. And then we were reminded that our Father in Heaven does heart surgery. And he takes hearts of stone and he makes them again hearts of flesh. It can only happen if God shows up. I want you to hear a story of 
how God showed up in Grace Ketterman's life. Dr. Grace Ketterman is with us here this morning, and she is graciously willing to be able to share some of her story. Maybe some of you know Grace, her and her husband, Herb, were part of Hillcrest from the very beginning, and Grace is going to tell us a story of how God worked in her life and in her family. Grace, we are so grateful you're here with us this morning. Thank you all for being willing to listen to an old lady. I will be 89 in September, and I think that I'm old. I used to say I'm getting older, but now I know I'm old. Uh, first of all, can you hear me? I have a hearing defect, and it sounds to me as if I'm shouting, but people tell me I have a soft voice, so if you don't hear me, wiggle your fingers, because I have some things to share with you that I hope will be useful to you and that are certainly wonderful to me to review because they reveal over and over the amazingness of God, the Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. First of all, let me tell you a brief story from my childhood. By the way, in September, I will be 89 years old, and I never in my life thought I would live that long, but here I am, and still walking a little bit. Uh, when I was a little girl, I did not have an easy life. I was the sixth of seven children, and from the age of five or six on, it was my job to help with the dusting of that big, old, dusty farmhouse. My mother was of Pennsylvania Dutch extraction, and all the Pennsylvania Dutch people I've ever known put cleanliness next to godliness, only occasionally I thought they put it ahead of God. So in, in my childhood, I would awaken every Saturday morning, which was always clean-up day. I would wake up believing this day I am going to make my mother so proud of me. I'm going to dust this house so well that she will not find a grain of dust. In all the years I was there in that household, and that's at least 10 or 12 years, I never found that that happened. My mother was never proud of me. She always would come along and rub her finger over the desk and say, Gracie, you didn't even touch that table. And I would feel defeated and uh, awful. And <coughs> that happened so often in so many years that I realized someday I might have to forgive her. And of all places, I learned in a psychiatry class I am, by the way, a psychiatrist and a pediatrician both. Uh, I learned how to forgive. They have a process they call gestalt therapy. When you sit in a chair, and all psychiatrists are a little bit nutty, and uh, so I accept that fact. But this is one example that uh, kind of proves that. Uh, we were to sit in a chair with the person with whom we had unresolved conflicts and hurts imaginatively sitting in a chair opposite us. And so, of course, I had to do that with my mother. And quietly, I, even in the class, quietly prayed that God would use this to heal the heartache I had suffered from my mother. And as he always does, God promises to heal us and supply all of our 
our needs. And as I told her all of the infinitely many ways that she had hurt my childhood, hurt my life, damaged my self-respect, uh, I just let it all out, as I never could do when I was a kid. Then I went to sit in the mama chair. And that's where the miracle took place. Because God showed me some facts that I had known all my life. My mother's father, my parents had migrated to Kansas from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, many, many years before. My mother's father was a circuit riding, horseback riding uh, evangelist. And the people all over the state of Kansas were served by his loving heart. But he was a preacher, Mark, who believed in fire and brimstone hell. And he believed equally that if we were not perfect, we would have to go to hell. We would never make it to heaven. And I thought as I sat in my mom's chair, ah, that's the answer. My mother grew up believing that if we weren't perfect, we would go to hell. And she loved us enough, her kids, that she didn't want to see us go to hell. And I'm glad for that. That was very wonderful. And at that moment, as I realized that, it was like a massive ton of emotional bricks fell off my back. I was released to be happy again and to forgive my mother. And I, I think that was exactly what God knew I would need later. Some 10 years later, I went to KU uh, to get my pre-medication uh, title so I could go to med school there. And it was not easy. There was a wonderful physics teacher of all people who was a firm Christian. He went to the church I attended in Lawrence. And Mr. Hall said to me, Grace, you should be in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And I thought, what's that? InterVarsity sounds kind of worldly, doesn't it? It wasn't very spiritual. But little did I know how wonderful it was. One day on Sunday, he said, IVCF meets tomorrow night. I'm going to pick you up. So he did and took me to that wonderful group of Christian kids. There I first met my husband, Herb Ketterman. He had just come back from being the Army in World War II. That's how old we are. Uh, and uh, he had been in the Army long enough that he came to know for the first time Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. He was so excited about God. So he eventually became the leader of the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Group. And once he found out that I was not married to my professor, uh, because I had come with him, uh, he and I started dating. And we studied together. We walked up that miserable hill together to our classes. Uh, we had lots and lots of wonderful time together. Herb was a most amazing man when he walked with the Lord. He was generous to a fault. One of my kids counted up one time. We had within our home over 30 people over many years of time that we invited in to live with us, some of them to eat with us, to just be with us like a child of our own over uh, years of time, of course. <clears throat> 
He was kind to the people in his family practice. He became a family doctor. And he would treat pastors' families and pastors themselves uh, free. He didn't charge them. He treated people who couldn't afford to pay without charge. Very kind, very generous, very loving, loved the Lord. He became chairman of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, later on of Christian Medical Society. Believe it or not, later on, he was chairman of Hillcrest. And uh, he and a few other men of his vintage were very instrumental in beginning the church of Hillcrest. So a wonderful man of God. And we got married in 1950. I was in my senior year of med school. He was a freshman, having been in the Army for a while. Our children came along uh, every four years, a new child. We ended up with three children. Then a tragic thing happened. Herb later called it himself drifting away from God. And drifting he did, and so badly that we lived apart for a while. He lived with a very dear Christian friend. And living together, those guys uh, helped each other a little bit, but it was not enough. Then came the phone call. I cannot find words to describe that telephone call. I came home late from work one day. It was about 6.30. I was then at the Crittenton Hospital for Children, and I, I was exhausted. But the telephone was ringing. And I thought, I just don't have to answer that. I don't do that very often, but once in a while, it feels good to say, just go ahead and ring. I'm not taking this call. And, uh, but that night, the phone didn't stop ringing. It kept on ringing. Finally, I went into the house from the garage and grabbed the phone and said, hello, not very nicely. <coughs> to my utter amazement, that call was from my husband. He had drifted so far from God and had gotten into trouble so profound that his, uh, he had been arrested at his office out in Hickman Mills, Missouri. The, uh, the officers took him to the Kansas City, Missouri jail at the Kansas City, Jackson County Courthouse. The news spread quickly. It was all over the television news that evening. Next day, it was all over the Kansas City Star, even reached Time magazine. And as I realized what he was saying, he had gotten into trouble so profound that he could not dig his own way out. I knew we had to do something, but I certainly didn't know what. I have never in my life felt, and perhaps never have been, so helpless. And I have learned that feeling and being helpless is one of the worst things that can happen to anyone. It's, as an adult, not a good thing. So as we talked, he had one minute, and uh, amazingly said a lot of things in that time. All I was able to say back to him was, honey, we will stand by you. I could not even imagine forgiving him at that point. 
I really would much rather have had revenge, get even with him, do something to hurt him, like uh, in the scripture this morning, putting him in jail, <laughs> you know. Well, he went to jail. That was exactly where he went. That evening, Pastor Glenn Lindell came to visit me in my house. A few other friends, an insurance agent who was such a dear friend of ours, and a couple of people from Herb's office, and we talked together about what had happened and how we would help Herb, how we would help ourselves. I desperately needed help for myself. Glenn said, Gracie, you're going to have to forgive him. And I will be happy to take you down to the jail in the morning, and you can talk to him. So in my helplessness, I said that would be wonderful, and he took me downtown to the courthouse, let me off. You know, that courthouse has 26 stories. I went to the top one where the jail was, and I asked the people there, how can I see Herb Ketterman? Well, he's already gone to his hearing in a courtroom. Now, let me tell you, 26 courtroom floors with numerous courtrooms in each floor is a forbidding prospect. And I thought, I can't do this. I, I can, I'll never find him. In a week, I won't have time to find him. But I knew that Glenn was gone, and I had to wait anyhow. So I thought, OK. I'll just go down one floor at a time and look through the windows. Can you imagine? This is how God works. I looked through the first window on the 25th floor, and there was Herb Ketterman sitting at the front where he would be. I quietly walked in, sat behind him, offered him a stick of gum, because I imagined his mouth was pitifully dry. And we chatted for just a minute. Afterward, we talked at length. The long and short of it is that he knew he would eventually have to go to prison. Uh, meanwhile, we had to put him in St. Mary's Hospital when it was still here, in the mental health ward, and uh, order to protect him because he was so depressed, so ashamed, and so suicidal that he needed that protection. In fact, one of our children, he asked to bring him a gun so he could shoot himself. She was wise enough, strong enough to say nothing doing, Dad. Another child went to visit him and took me along because she was a little bit reluctant to go by herself. And he told her all the sordid, awful, tragic things that he was guilty of. And she said, but Dad, remember how you taught me to snow ski? Remember how you taught me to water ski. You were a wonderful father. Offering him hope, a reason to stay alive, a reason not to take his life. What a wonderful gift God gave her to help him through that terrible time. He went to live and had been living with a dear friend named Dean Anderson, who used to be a member here, was one of the starters of the church. And Dean was a mainstay for him through those dark, difficult days. I met with them both often. I met with her many, many times trying to understand what had happened. 
And folks, these are the steps it takes. Uh, I hate to make things too scientific, but I have spent so many years of my life studying science that I, I think maybe it will clarify for you. Forgiveness is not just a feeling. It is not something that we do to condone the other person's misbehaviors. Forgiving is something that God ordered for our own good. And I somehow had a sense of that because I think of that childhood experience. And so I said to Herb, I will forgive you if you help me understand what happened. And so I collected information from him by the barrel. I used the information to reach understanding. And then by the understanding, I was able to let go and not carry the hurt, the helplessness, the, the vengeful feelings that I had known for so long. And what happened was an absolutely amazing series of events. Yes, Herb had to go to prison. He was assigned to Lansing State Prison for uh, five to 20 years. That's a long time for a 60-year-old man. What happened, though, was that it was such a dark and dismal time. And I prayed every night. I had trouble sleeping many a night. And I would say, God, I don't know even what to read from your word to encourage me and help me through this impossible time. And I would say, just help me open your word. And he uh, sh showed me, just had me open the Bible to Second Kings, in which it was a story of the Israelites who were uh, facing a, a, an array of enemy people, more than they could possibly cope with, just as helpless as I felt. But you know what God said to them through the prophet? Send a bunch of people to the river Kidron, the brook Kidron, and sing praises to God, and I will set you free. I will take care of this. And God did that. He conquered all of the enemy, dispensed them against each other, and set the Israelis free. And it wasn't too much longer after that one. I woke up at night and sang those praises to God because I had to, because it was so hopeless otherwise. That Herb got out of prison early, about four years and a couple of months, and went to live with Dean Anderson again, and uh, God really provided for him. He went to see a psychiatrist who happened to be a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. After a couple of years, Dr. Hart said, Grace, I think he is okay. I think he has suffered PTSD, which we all know because of the armed forces now. And uh, he has certainly suffered trauma beyond belief. And I think if you guys ever want to get married again, you could do that. So we did. After those couple of years, we went to uh, Oklahoma, where there's a little town that a lot of teenagers used to go to and elope and have a quickie marriage. And we had a private little marriage of our very own. And can you believe it? The last 12 years of our lives together were by far the best years of our lives. Years of walking with God and I learned so much. I really could talk for an hour, and I, I promise I won't, Mark. But uh, what God showed me was this, that 
he could enable me to let go, to release, to understand, to have the information that would promote total forgiveness. And by the way, I had a few other people to forgive because the people in this church did not stand by me. I felt very much shunned and rejected by them, as did Herb. But that's all right, I forgave them too. And uh, probably none of you were here at that time. That's a long time ago. But God saw us through that. Also, he showed me that pain and misery can enable me to do something for other people. And I, with a couple of other wives, began a ministry at Lansing State Prison that it's hard to describe. We helped change a lot of things. One of the worst things about visiting Herb in prison, which I did every week almost for the t time he was there, was that they were so rigid. They had a row, rows of seats for families and visitors to meet with their loved one in prison. And our, our whole family went to visit her once. We were sitting kind of in the middle of that collection of people. And I leaned forward so I could hear. I'm not very uh, well, uh, not very good at hearing. So I leaned forward so I could hear. And the guard yelled at me. And he said, sit back in that chair. You don't dare to move in here. And we were able, this group that I helped formulate, to change the visiting to having a visitor's room with individual tables so that families could sit together, talk together, create an environment that was healing and restoring and renewing. That was not easy, but it, it was, it's exciting still to realize that we were able to do that and leave a, a heritage. Herb had a chance while he was in prison to do something very risky for him. Medical care in prisons is not good. That's a minimal statement. Herb was asked to go to Topeka, Kansas and give testimony about the, the basic badness of the medical care there, which again, I hope, allowed the whole medical care to get better as time went by. So the, the value of what we can learn from difficult times, the ability to forgive, to forget, to let go, is a gift from God. And I am grateful that we had the chance to do that. Thank you, Jim. I knew the name Dr. Grace Ketterman back when I was in college in a part of the world that was a long ways from Kansas. We knew who Dr. Grace Ketterman was. Um, we used her resources. And so it's just so extraordinary that God brought us to Hillcrest and to be able to hear this story of the way God has worked in your life too. And she's 89 years old and still going strong. I, I would anticipate that there will be a value in a number of people from Hillcrest getting together and going deeper. And how does this forgiveness work? How, what are the practical things that we can do with that? And I know 
grace would be open to do that as she served us in so many other ways as well too. But did you hear over and over again, God did, God did, God did. And on the other side of unforgiveness that becomes forgiveness, she described 12 years of flourishing that God had for her and for Herb in the context of forgiveness. And that's the world God wants us to live in as well. And the first step is to go to God who says, I will help you with it. So my encouragement to you is as we walk into communion is this, is to ask this question, is there someone whom God is calling me to forgive? Is there someone who I need to release? And um, you say, I just can't do it. And the first step is to say, dear God, I need you. And in the context of communion, when we gather together, that's what we're saying. God, again, I need you, I need you. You've been gracious to me. Would you please fill my life again with the capacity to be who I was meant to be?